0: Welcome everybody. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Barry, along with my very good friend, His Eminence, self-proclaimed, yeah, yeah. no, self-identifying Cardinal, Cardinal <laughs> Richard Heilman. <laughs> and with us tonight, we've got one of our returning favorites, Father Chad Ripperger is going to be with us here tonight, and we're going to be discussing, obviously, what's been happening in the church, what's going on in the world, and the incredible most recent development uh just tragedy and chaos and that is what happened with bishop strickland and how really should we respond there's a lot of controversy about what we should and shouldn't do what's going to be fruitful efficacious and so forth and we're going to break that down father ripper is going to help it and father has got a great new book we're going to be breaking that open up a little bit as well and everything of course begins with prayer father heilman i'm sorry your eminence
1: all right in the name <laughs> of the father the son the holy spirit amen, amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray. And do Thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Father Monsignor. No, Your Eminence, and Your Eminence. thank you. Your eminence, so I'm going to get that down. <laughs> and we want to thank everybody out there who supports the Grace Force podcast. We are always, always so incredibly appreciative of your your thoughts, your prayers, uh, your financial contribution to the Patreon program. For those of you who would like to support us through the Patreon program, please click the link in the description below. As I like to say, a few dollars goes a long way in getting these messages out to as many people as possible. And as we see, of course, as this most recent development has really kind of unfolded and hit a lot of people pretty hard about bishop strickland we do need to get these messages out we need to help bring clarity we need to bring a voice of reason and unity and not a voice of of just disorientation and that seems to be where a lot of people are are at they're just struggling with just being disoriented as to what direction to go so your support helps us get this message out and we thank you so much for that don't also forget that we have the official U.S. Grace Force gear page, T-shirts and hoodies and all kinds of fun stuff out there, but it also is a great way to get the message out and continue to support the work that the U.S. Grace Force is trying to do. So we thank you for that. Father and Father, wow. What a development that's happened in the last week. Uh, Father Hyman, I'll let you take it from there. This has uh, been a a, a bit of an earth shaker for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, well, you and I were talking about this, and uh, we want to tread lightly uh, in the sense that, you know, we're, we've never been pulp bashers, and uh, yeah. have we, you know, had our moments where we just don't understand? Sure, and I think a lot of people are there, but uh, he is the Pope, and we want to respect that, and uh, and so we want to have someone on. Uh, you and I talked about this, Doug, that uh, that has a lot of i'll call it street cred but but a person that we people trust they have confidence in his um in his thoughts his his uh his um background his 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 studies everything and uh none other than uh father ripperger and and father you and i were texting back and forth uh with this whole thing breaking and Mm -hmm. and uh and then and then you had mentioned too about your book and i said well listen be great to have you on because that book sounds amazing mm. um what's the title father of the book again papal uh, authority? It's,
2: yeah the, it's called the limits of papal authority over the liturgy yeah um wow. <laughs> so the timing is well we can talk a little bit more about the time yeah, right. Yeah. right yeah but yeah
1: and it's just coming out to the public right now and uh and that was you know just a happenstance but um and you we've been you the three of us have been good friends for for many years and um and i really appreciate your ministry father it just and i know all of our listeners do too um we can't we can't uh get enough of of listening to you and your 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 uh background and and your studies and and just your eloquence in 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 passing on that that truth to all of us and you do it with such uh pr- good prudential judgment and So we appreciate all that. So ended up, you're the perfect person to have on the, in the, uh, in the aftermath of what happened with uh, Bishop Strickland and to help us to understand, and like the title says too, what do we, what can we do? You know, uh, as, as we uh, are facing, you know, these times and, and, and this, uh, you know, very sad moment of Bishop Strickland, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, being Mm -hmm. removed from Tyler. So uh, father, if you wouldn't mind. You know, what's some of your initial thoughts uh as you know we're we're uh we're just days away now from bishop strickland being removed i mean wh- where where did where did your thoughts go initially and and where are you right now with all this
2: um i yeah i for, i have a very complex view of this whole situation not necessarily of i mean complex in a sense i think there's different lever layers to it um, I think that very often people are getting hung up very much on just the particular event and the injustice that's perceived and things of that sort that's actually going on when I think there's all sorts of facets to this thing. When I first heard it, um, I thought, well, I knew it was coming. I just didn't think it would be as soon as it was. I figured it would be after the first of the year before we would see them actually move uh, in that regard. And because there was a bit of a time lag, I thought, well, maybe they're just going to sit on it. But um. So I, I, I look at it from the point of view of... Um, I, for me, there's four different levels to this thing. The first is the reaction that people are given to, giving to this thing, I think, is we have to be detached from the situation. Because if we're not detached, what's going to happen is we're going to e- react emotionally and not with clarity. I think Doug's uh, opening statement is right on target. It's a matter of we have to make a rational and a measured response to this. Um, and that response, I think, is is uh, several fold. One is, emotionally, we can't let this stuff get to the, the better of us. Part of that is, um, and I don't mean to get too long winded, but I think part of it is, if we have an emotional response, certain people in the Vatican, I'm not necessarily saying the Holy Father, but certain people in the Vatican will use that as the opportunity to say see we told you this is what the real problem is whereas if we whereas if we have a very um you know if our approach to this is very holy and very measured then i think that that will um actually go much more in our favor and it won't give them ammunition so i think that there's that the emotional side just has to be very calm the, uh, the second part of it is, this This is a time for valor. I agree that we have to fight for the truth and what's, what's happening. We have to fight for the church. But as they say, discretion is the better part of valor. We really have to be prudent in how we're going to proceed in this thing. And I don't think it can just be natural prudence. I think it has to be supernatural prudence, which has God primarily as its object. Because in this whole thing, um, I think that uh, Father... Or, um, Uh, bishop strickland's removal is a symptom of a bigger problem that the church has and so i think that that uh, prudentially we need to take a more spiritual approach to this to this thing i mean i i realize that prudentially a lot of people we were talking a little bit about this before we actually began the segment but it it's one of those things where people are just like well we need to protest and we need to um we need to sign petitions and this and that and i would probably generally agree that I don't know if those are going to be very beneficial. I think a lot of the, I think that's just going to cause people to react even more when this is all said and done. Uh, that is the people in authority. Um, the uh, so there's, I think prudentially, what we need to do is take a serious look at this. Okay, in a in a spiritual prudential way, how are we going to approach this? And for me, there's two parts to it. The first is a, there's a positive, and then the second one is the negative. The positive sign is we have got to start praying and become holier because if we don't, this is going to continue to happen and we're going to lose not just Bishop Strickland, we're going to start losing other good solid Bishops in the process because if the if the if the Vatican feels, it's kind of like you know when they when uh, Pilate, um saw that you know that it actually or that you know that the Roman authorities saw that it actually emboldened the Jews or that they they got a good response from the Jews they started going after the other ones well, that's the same thing that's going to happen here after the other apostles it's the same thing that's going to happen here in relationship with the bishops so the the main thing is we have to grow in holiness I think that's something that we can discuss off and on throughout the course of this because um as many of you heard me say, I think the fundamental reason he was removed is a symptom of the bigger cause, which is we get the leaders we deserve and we're not getting the ones that we would like. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bishop Strickland is one of those that we everybody loved. We wanted him to be around and we were not as holy as we should have been. And as a result, we he, God took him from us. You know, it's very similar to uh, Jesse Romero just tweeted out that he thought that it was very similar to Joseph, right? Joseph was taken away. They sold him off into, into slavery. But in the end, he is the one that ends up becoming the the one that saves many people but anyway the point being is is that uh i think that we have to we have to start working on holiness i think that's something we can talk about the other side of it too is this is a sign of a a spiritual uh the negative side which is um as holy people as people are not becoming holy and is because we are becoming weaker and weaker on a spiritual level The demons are encroaching more and more, and they're emboldening the people that they influence. And so we're going to see these kinds of things happening with greater frequency, with greater rapidity, precisely because we're not doing our part to keep them spiritually at bay. So my basic attitude is the most effective response we can have to this is going to be a spiritual response specifically to keep the demons at bay, block them from being able to do this more in the future, but at the same time praying. And, you know, I'm not that I'm a um, that much of a big fan, although I do like many of the priests in the SSPX. I've, I've known a number of them. I think a lot of them are very holy men or they're trying to seek holiness and what have you. But I think the fact that the SSPX would have these like million rosary um But they would try and do a million rosaries for the sake of a particular thing, and they would do it, and it would actually happen. I think that was God's sign of telling us, we need to have that approach in relationship to, on the positive side, in order to, we need to do prayers, sufferings, and good works to achieve these things. And I think it needs to be concerted effort. Mm -hmm. So those are just some of my initial thoughts.
1: Concerted, I think, uh, my big word these days is unite.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, I jump in on this. Um you I mean we're going to get to your book uh as well. Um uh, you know, let's do the book first cuz I want to address that, let people hear about that a little bit. Um okay. then I want to get back to what you said about um w- you know, what we de- we get what we deserve cuz I you know, we were talking yes. about this before we started recording and I I see this in, even in the governments, you know. We've got a world uh-huh. war 3 potentially um on the horizon and we hope and pray that it doesn't evolve to that, but it, everything just looks so rough now, you know, Russia, Ukraine, Middle East now. Um, you know, as we speak, you know, more stories are coming out of, you know, military bases, U.S. bases that are being hit. U.S. is retaliating against, you know, the the, the proxy members of Iran. I mean, this, this whole thing is just such a tinderbox. Yeah. But these are the prophecies of the Blessed Mother, church-approved ones, that, you know, God allows war because of man's sin. That was Fatima, Our Lady said in right. Fatima. And many other places where she has talked about if man does not repent— there will be chaos, and even in Akita in 1973, she speaks about the, the demon being especially implacable or relentless against consecrated souls, like you two gentlemen, and and how many we've seen struggle so much in these areas. So, but before we break all of that down, a little teaser for the audience, stay with us, we want to get into all of that, Father, your book and the timing of when this book came out and, and, and what it has to do with, tell us a little bit about that, and- I mean, amazing news, you sold out the first printing already, right?
2: Within 48 hours, yeah. That's, so that's wow. incredible.
0: Wow. Yeah. So the first
2: printing, well, I should say, there's a bit of backstory. So originally, some of, some of you might have seen it on some of the podcasts. I had just mentioned I had written a book called The Limits of Papal Authority over the Liturgy, and it's only available. I didn't put it available on Amazon. It's only available through our press, Centrad Press. Yeah, you
1: still sold out. When we still sold out. Movie. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. Literally we'll that, less, than, uh, less than 48 hours. Once we made it public and I talked about it, it sold out in less than uh, um for And so we, we have that the way it's working now is, is that, um, we just did a rush order. We should get those books in about a week. So if you, you can still order it, it, when it comes up, it'll say back ordered, but you can still order it. And then it's, um, based on who orders it, when is when they'll receive it. So, um, the uh um part of the other difficulty we had was as soon as our um because we have several distributors um we have one in Australia one in Canada we have several in the United States once they found out about it they they put in massive orders and so we we're it's we're kind of a bit behind the pile. I did not expect it to sell quite that much. I think a lot of it had to do with the timing. But originally the book was written. It's a somewhat academic book, but it's still accessible, I think, to your average lay reader. And the, the idea behind it was, um, I had been hearing, um, Cardinal Burke and um, Bishop Schneider, Athanasius Schneider were saying things like the Pope doesn't have the authority to suppress the old mass, or he doesn't have the authority to do certain things in relationship to the liturgy. Now, instinctively, as part of the census of I agreed with them, but in all the studies that I had done, it was very scant about what those limits actually were. And I didn't, Um, I didn't like the fact that it was being talked about, but without concrete principles that give an indicator of exactly where his authority is and where it's not. So the first part of the book is just to establish he actually does have authority over the liturgy and he does have the right to make certain determinations. But later in the book, as I start parsing these out, so the first part of the book shows that he, he doesn't have the right to put something in the liturgy that's against the divine positive law or the natural law. There's also and one of the things I spend a lot of time on the book is what's called the principle of apostolicity. Christ told the apostles and Christ himself initiated certain things that were to be in the liturgy. So if Christ, the entire tradition of the church, and this is what I show in the book, the entire tradition of the church is very clear. If Christ put if Christ said, you know, do this in commemoration of me, But then also, if he commanded the apostles to put something into the liturgy, so for example, one of them is that he ordered the apostles to put in a preface into the liturgy. This gives an indicator that actually, by the time it comes out from the apostles, it's not what the modernists have been telling us for the last 100 and 150 years. That the liturgy in the beginning was very amorphous and there wasn't a whole lot. No, it was actually fairly baked. I mean, there was still a lot of development that occurred, but it was fairly baked as it comes out from the apostles. But if it came from the apostles, the entire tradition church said that not even the pope had authority over the, that element to change it. And so this begins to uh, start to unpack. So, And then there's the principle of, of longevity, which means that the longer something is in the liturgy, the more we know that's the will of God that it be there. I talk about how we know the time frame for that. Um, Pius V gives us an indicator of it. I then talk: can the Pope actually suppress a right? And then, so by the time I get to the point where we talk about suppressing of a right, in the book, I'm actually talking about the fact that if you parse it out, there are certain elements of the liturgy over which the pope does not have authority and the council of trent makes this very clear for example when it says he can't change the substance of the sacraments so he can't change the words of consecration for example mm. but he but there are and so there's certain things he has no authority to change and in that his right over the, those elements do not do not um fall upon determination. He does not have the right of determination in relationship to that. He only has rights of preservation. It's his obligation to preserve those elements. Then there are certain elements which um, uh, we know that he um he doesn't have right of he that we they come from virtue of the fact that they've been in the tradition for so long that even the Pope, so like for example. Pius XI, when asked if he could, in, they they, they it was suggested to him that he insert St. Joseph into the canon, his response was very telling. And this is something that you see throughout the, I, I, there's bits and pieces of this throughout the course of the book where right? I talk about this historically, that by the time you get past Trent, there is a recognition that the Pope is very limited in relationship to liturgical change. He can make certain determinable changes, like in the, the accidental things, those rights. So the third category is rights of determination, but there's a second category where he still didn't have right of determination, although historically they were determined by popes. But once they became set, then because of their longevity, it was clear that this was the will of God. And as a result of that, the Pope, so Pius XI, when asked if he would insert St. Joseph into the canon, his response was, I can't do that. I'm only the Pope, right? Mm. So there was a recognition that, um, that, and by the way, I'm not against him being in the canon and and that's just a whole nother discussion on itself. My basic point is, is that, so the Pope's relationship to, there are certain things where the there's elements where he has no right of determination. He only has rights of preservation. There's some where he has um, the rights of preservation, but that there there can be minor changes. So like for example, he could add a word here there, say to the offertory or something like that, which you actually saw historically. Um certain things would actually be added uh here and there. Um or another example is in the elevation, it historically it wasn't until the medieval period that the there were they had the major elevation where you actually listed the lift of the species after the consecration. So that was an addition. Um, but then so they the they talk about the accidentalia, they can change the accidentals. So this is where like changing or adding feast days, making minor changes to certain kinds of prayers and things like that were permitted. And then even those, there were a set of principles that governed even how that was actually done. So by the time you get to the, the last chapter, the ninth chapter, I talk, can the Pope suppress a right? I talk about there's only been two Popes that have ever suppressed a right. And that's Gregory the Great and Pius V. And they both suppressed certain rites. P- Gregory the um, Seventh did it because uh, a rite contained heresy; it contained error. Pius the Fifth did it because there were rites that did not live up to the print the uh, the quality that did not fulfill the principle of, or a quality of apostolicity. And even though it was a two hundred year mark, there's a specific reason why he does that historically. But that's the cutoff because it's at that point that you start seeing things get into the liturgy that did not fulfill those requirements. So the point is, I lay out the principles behind what the actual limits of the papal authority are based not on speculation, but on what the popes have said, what the councils have said, what the saints have said, what the fathers of the church have said, how this stuff has been handled in the past. I also address the question about, quote, primum and the principles that undergird, quote, because that's where the real issue is. Because, quote, primum, if you read it in Latin, is actually a juridic document not a doctrinal document but underneath it are doctrinal principles like the principle of, of longevity and the principle of apostolicity those are the things that he uses to demonstrate this is why any priest can say this mass so anyway the point was i, I just wanted to be able to initially and then i'll i won't try and hog the, the the camera here but i i initially just wanted to get the principles behind when you know when Burke would say the Pope doesn't have that authority. I agreed with him, but I, I I didn't feel comfortable saying that publicly without actually knowing the principles that undergird it. And I could back it up based on principles. And so the book doesn't go into a lot of conclusions. I'm not there to attack the new mass. I am not there to... Um, to do, you know, to go after certain elements. I'm just there to show these are the principles that govern the liturgical change throughout the history of the church. And this is how th- this is why the Pope is limited in these areas, but then has authority and change make changes in these. And so that's kind of the I um, behind the book. But the idea was to indicate that the pope can't just do whatever he pleases as uh, pope benedict himself said right he can't just do whatever he wants he's he's bound by certain things and pope benedict would have understood most of the stuff that's in this book i think it's just he never really talked about it or he did in in other ways so that's kind of the idea behind the book i think it's somewhat timely because i think that the um what we that basically traditional custodas was to the liturgy what um bishop strickland is to the episcopate right and i think that we're just kind of seeing it's two things it's they're they're mm-hmm. but that but the but mm-hmm. the uh what's behind them i think is basically the same so
1: yeah you know i i'm listening to you father and um i'm just thinking you know the poor lady, I think they're punch drunk because yeah, what entered my mind is uh, the mode proprio from Pope Benedict of July 7, thousand seven, which I always thought was pretty cool. Seven, seven, seven,
2: seven. Yeah, but, uh,
1: <laughs> I wonder if he did that on purpose. I don't know, but anyway, um, that 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 uh, basically released, freed up uh, yeah. the practice of of the uh, the traditional Latin mass. And then just a few years later it seems uh there's this suppression of of it and i, I it just you know and we want yeah, to respect people authority but you know which, which is it uh you know is is and it is like a personal taste thing almost you start getting into yeah. that uh
2: well that's exactly gone. why i went into well that's exactly why i went into the principles of the thing because yeah. i think because all of the late lay people that i've had read this That were non-academics. Every one of them said, this is the first time it's made sense. And so now if I hear something, I know whether it's justifiable or not. And I think that um, Pope Benedict, Pope Benedict in that mode appropriate was just reflecting what he understood to be the tradition of the church in this matter, or how it was always understood. And I think we're seeing a situation where that it's not necessarily the case, it's only understood. So when I first wrote this book, it was actually to circulate it among academics and certain clergy to get their feedback and to see what their general principles. I got virtually no feedback because they're just like, well, it's pretty straightforward. I don't know how you're going to argue with the thing. And, uh, and they didn't really have too much to add as far as the principles. Although I consider this book kind of a seminal book in the sense of it's there to spark the discussion about that. So that when this happened um, to uh, uh, Bishop Strickland, I was already on the cusp of releasing it anyway. I had been discussing it internally among my community. We were pr- I was pretty much, it was just a matter of when. And then it, <laughs> the timing was uh, fortuitous, I suppose, in one sense. But I didn't i didn't really intend it fully that way. It just says, well, I, I'm releasing it anyway. And I might as well just do it now because I think this will help people to realize that the Pope is limited in what he can and cannot do. And it helps, I think, calm people down a little bit so that they, you know, when they see stuff happening, they can kind of back up and say, okay, I can have a rational response to this. I see what they can and cannot do.
0: And a couple of things. One, um, why is this an important book for the, for the laity, especially and for anybody really to read? I know you've talked a lot about how with things really unraveling the way it is and the way they are in the church the need well, I for think, us to be better educated
2: yeah I, well that's it i think that's what it is i think that we're entering into a time when i mean we've heard the talk from the vatican how there's talk about actually suppressing this right or making it eventually that you can't do it or mm-hmm. or restricting it even further and so even when you understand the principles behind this book you realize when they can and cannot restrict certain things um and uh, the principle i don't i deal with it only in relationship to the mass i don't deal with the relationship to the ritual of roman the ritual where the sacraments are i don't deal with it in context of the pontific or the pontifical masses although i think the principles apply there as well i think it's just a little bit more and it's a far more involved historically to show where certain elements in the in the various sacraments came from and it, same with the Pontificale. But I think the main reason that I give, I'm, I'm putting this out is so that people will be educated so that when these things happen, they can be at peace in knowing what they're doing mm-hmm. instead of just having kind of a visceral reaction or an emotional reaction, which I think we're seeing among a lot of the Catholics uh, in relationship to, for example, the removal of Bishop Strickland. But also you kind of saw that same kind of a thing when Traditionist Custodes out, there was just kind of this blow up and, re- and, and visceral reaction and you still pe- see people having that visceral reaction, and I don't think that that's helpful helpful on any level, frankly.
0: Can you give a quick synopsis of what that is for the audience who might not have heard uh, what what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, so basically, what it came down to is, is that the Pope basically restricted its use under certain circumstances, and that he basically said that the new Mass um, was the what uh, <laughs> I should say, when it when it came out and it said that the that the 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 new rite of mass is a unique, is the unique expression of the Roman rite. I actually laughed before I had a chance to read the Italian. So I'm fluent in Italian and I finally got a chance to read the Italian and found out it was the word unica, which actually means the only, not the unique. Because when I heard unique, I started laughing. I said, well, it's actually true. It's the only rite that can't, it's the only rite that exists in the church today that cannot trace itself back to an apostle. So I'm like, well, there, that's true. But when it comes to, um, uh, but it's the only expression of the roman right and i said well that's just not true either because of the fact that they continued to allow the old mass so it was a matter of restricting the um the use of the old mass um and sacraments um although i don't think that the i do agree with the canonists that it didn't restrict the sacramental use as much as that uh, cardinal roach wanted to say um and there's been some public discussion of that so i'll let people and Cardinal Roach hammer that coming that thing out. But uh but I, I think it just basically it was a restriction of the old right. And then the, so that's part of the reason too behind the book is can the Pope actually restrict its use? That was part of the other question. And I've had some discussions with this with cardinals and bishops at fairly high levels and the general consensus is that he doesn't really have that authority but that was one of the reasons why i thought i got to get the book written so the faithful will have the principles to understand when the pope can and cannot make the changes and when he can and cannot suppress a right basically
1: yeah. you, you know i i I said earlier that the the faithful are feeling feel punched drunk drunk yeah yeah it, it just it's is what's gonna what's gonna happen next and um yeah you know, I don't here's a pattern I, I whether I'm right or wrong uh there's a pattern that I that I've noticed so if let's just start at 1973 and of course that was Roe v Wade uh during that time of course it was the um the apparition of uh, Our Lady of Akita uh, that year, too. Also, the American Psychological Association released that uh, you know homosexuality is no longer considered a disorder Right. all in that year. So there was this 1973, and then I just noticed there was a 20-year period. And why do I call it 20-year? Because there was a moment when this um, dominant influencer for the Catholic Church EWTN went full on orthodoxy almost in a moment. And that was when the classic rant of mother Angelica and she just went, I've had it. And she just let the liberal bishops have it because for 20 years, at least that's kind of, if if we look at history, it was post Vatican II, but they really got their, their, their goody list going right in the early 70s there. Yes, right around right. 1973, and um, vocations crashed, uh, uh, convents emptied out, and um, you know, and I don't know. It, it just people took t- took a lukewarm approach to their faith, and um, we kind of lived through all that 73 to 93. And you know what I'm I uh, thought of too when I when I think of this too is that that quote that I just love. And I brought it up here so I could I could say hard times create strong men. Strong right. men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. So this 20-year period, now stick with me just for a second. So uh, then you hit 73 to 93. Well, the other thing that happened, though, is uh, John Paul II came in. And this is my take on it. He didn't do a lot in pushing the orthodoxy of our faith, the deposit of our faith. You know what he did instead? He he, he built an army around him, and it, and and it was really in '93 that he got a big army. At that mo- moment, he got a he got his army behind him. And if you guys, uh, you know, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but I do. I was ordained five years a priest in 1993, and prior to that, I was like, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I wasn't like a, a flaming liberal or anything like that, but I was casual. Uh but, but something happened and we were glued to EWTN in the nineties. I mean, we we were fascinated with it and we couldn't get enough of it. That was just kind of going on. And then that's when Pope John Paul II started getting a little more brassy, uh a little more stricklandy, if you will. <laughs> uh but he he started being, because I think prior to that, he felt like that other part of the church had control and he had to build an army first. Then he could start taking back what happened. And that was 1993. Now let's go 20 years later. And 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 then what happened after John Paul II is we have Pope Benedict and then Cardinal Burke. And, you know, we had the, you know, the moto proprio in 2007. I mean, just the, just, we're creating good times. And then 20 years later, Pope Benedict resigns, 2013. And I, I don't know. It just, I don't know why 20 years, but um, it just seems like we go through this and and we're hitting some pretty hard times. Mm-hmm. We're at least confused. At the yes. least we're confused. And I think a lot of people are upset right now, but uh, but we're getting a lot thrown at us. By what appears to be um, the side of the 1973 to 93 uh, contingent has reclaimed surrendered ground. It seems, and we we have to sit down and shut up, or we're going to get canceled. Like fill in the blank, you know, Uh, if, if we dare try to stand up. I don't know. So I'm I'm babbling here. I don't know if you find that uh, that interesting or not but I I did. Father, can you comment on that?
2: Yeah, actually I I think the word punch the phrase punch drunk is actually kind of interesting because I think it's true. I think what's happened is is that um it's kind of like you said it's kind of going back and forth and then over the last um few years it just seems like we've been taking hit after hit after hit yeah. and it, and um but it so when you're punch drunk you have to re- go back to the corner and get the smelling salts out right i mean that's that's how you get your clarity back is by getting the smelling salts out where there's two smelling salts the first is the orthodox catholic faith which means you have to study it and you have to know it and you have to know this is why i keep telling everybody if you don't know the limits of papal authority and you don't understand how the church understands this because you see two people there's two ends of the uh, the uh, um uh, the spectrum there's still who say well the pope can do whatever he wants and that's just not what the church that's not catholic thinking that's not what the vatican one said that's not what the church actually says um and the, even the popes historically never thought that then you got the people on the other side who basically are you know uh it's basically saying he can't do this and he can't do that and he can't do this when he legitimately can do some of those things so you, it, the real issue is the smelling salt is you're going to get your clarity by having clarity about the church's teaching precisely what those are in this moment and the principles behind it. The second spelling salt is holiness. We have got to clear our head. And by that, I mean, we've got to stop being worldly. We have to stop being sucked into every little thing that happens in relationship to what's going on in the Vatican. And this is something I mentioned in the other podcast, which is, you know, historically, the average layman in the medieval period probably didn't even know the pope's name and if he did know the pope's name because it was a set in the canon he probably didn't know much about what the guy did unless he did something that was significant and the priests were talking about it but the fact that today the guy sneezes and we actually know you know how much barometric pressure he released in the process oh, yeah. and all of this is just <laughs> not healthy spiritually the smelling salt is, that's why I said you have to go back to the corner and get your smelling salts out. That means we have to st- unplug from paying so much attention to this stuff and start getting our spiritual lives in order, get our appetites under control, get virtue built, Get get the discipline in our spiritual life and get these things in order. And then from there, we can start, then we can step back into the boxing ring. So that being said, I think that's one of the reasons why people just have to really start working on holiness. And I like this, the word you said, united. I think we have to unite in that holiness and doing the things we need to do so that we can merit, you know, good and holy bishops, or that at least that we can retain the ones that we have.
1: Your holiness and uniting is is exactly, that'd be the best way to describe what happened post uh, Mother Angelica's rant. I mean, they mm-hmm. donned the new habits. They started talking about the Blessed Mother more. They had more Eucharistic adoration. They had more reverence in the liturgy, and people were like, "Wait, what? Wait, th- this is awesome!" I, I again, I, I I just knew a lot of Catholics back then that were just like, "Everybody's talking about EWTN and Mother Angelica and mm-hmm. and and this. We 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 need that. We we need, and that's what they were pushing: is holiness and let's be." united as as catholicism at least in america but i think beyond um you know, so anyways uh you're exactly right father uh holiness and uniting right now yeah
2: yeah and i just think that as you know we've mentioned before we get the leaders we deserve well we also when we have when there is a good leader he's going to be taken from us if we don't continue meriting him being over us and this is um i i mean i have no idea i feel i actually i have a lot of Compassion for the people in the Diocese of Tyler, Texas, because I'm sure it's very, there's a, a lot of upheaval and there's a lot of difficulty and suffering that these people are going through. But in a certain sense, too, is that Strickland had become kind of the representation of that unity because he was a unifying principle. He's not the unifying principle, but he was a unifying principle. And I think that now that that's been taken from us, it's a sign that, okay, then we've got to get our act together so that we can um, merit good leaders again
0: yep yeah i mean that was a key thing i wanted to get back to and you just addressed it is the fact that we do get what we deserve um god does see what we're doing and listens to to uh, our our complaining our ranting or our prayers um and i'm so glad you addressed that father then let's let's get to the real heart of this then is what should the lay faithful do um, there's all kinds of conversation in fact as we're here I'm looking at a news article on my other monitor here uh written from a religious news service saying that you know um an American Bishop gets a deserved he-ho uh from yeah. the, I mean there's all these attacks still going on that and, and it's and everybody's an expert by the way could you address this point before we get into what the lay faithful <laughs> should do well, we are wasting so much time I think oh, just yeah. around like oh and I know this uh, and I know this and there's a lot of I just, like, I don't know if it's, like, judgmentalism of I understand what's really going on here. And I'll be the first one to say I don't have any clue what's going on on some of those levels. I have a hard time figuring out what God's telling me to do, you know? I mean, can you address that whole world, expert, and we debate ad nauseum now as if we are
2: experts? yeah, I mean, the first historically time that we actually saw, Doug, was actually with the Protestants, right? Because the Protestants said the Holy Spirit will enlighten you directly. Mm. Well, that just moved the standard for objective truth regarding religion from external objective um, teaching, which the Magisterium would teach us, to the internal thing. Well, that was the principal foundation of modernism. So, what that's a sign of is, is that modernism has become completely entrenched in even the best people's thinking. Mm. By that, I mean in the sense of the people who are trying to lead a good Catholic life and them, but they barge in in areas they think know nothing about Uh, this is it's, it's for example when you when you hear people talk about you know whether a pope can lose his office because of heresy or not this is an area of theology that is extraordinarily uh difficult and requires an enormous amount of knowledge and background even the greatest of theologians were very careful to make sure that they were extraordinarily precise in this area, because you can just end up in error very quickly, right? Well, it's the same thing that you're kind of seeing here. It's the the term that kind of comes to mind is ultra crepidarian. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. I,
0: I, I, oh, I'm I'm no. gonna, I'm going to try to spell no. that. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's ultra crepidarian. Okay. The definition of an ultra yeah there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh so the definition of an ultra crepidarian is someone who barges into a discussion and makes his position known when he knows absolutely nothing about the topic oh that's that's what we're yeah that well that's but that's what we're seeing all across the board because yeah. modernism has transposed the cut the criteria for whether something's true or not from objective reality people don't judge whether they know something or not based upon objective reality, but, but how they feel or what, how they relate to the thing. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is what I think this is what we're doing. So uh, this is part of the smelling salts thing, right? I mean, people have got to start learning more, but I think the other thing is, and this is something which um, as, uh, as Doug, as you were talking, it kind of occurred to me. I think the other part of this is that people don't seem to grasp that Uh, what St. Paul says, look, your battle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. This is a spiritual battle, first and foremost. The removal of Bishop uh, Strickland is the result of the fact that we aren't fighting the spiritual warfare sufficiently well. And I'm not saying that because I'm an exorcist. I'm saying this, that's the reality of it. We're in the middle of a horrific spiritual battle. And what's happening is, is everybody is, uh, you know, or it's, you know, the iceberg the titanic has hit the iceberg and everyone's rearranging the chairs i mean or people are just uh squawking about whether you know um you know we're in the middle of a spiritual battle and they're worrying about whether i should use 556 five, or 762 i mean it's just you know just like what you know what is right. just get the gun and start shooting is what you want to tell people but yeah. that all being said i think that the real issue is um it's a matter of we're not addressing this as a spiritual battle and in the spiritual battle the first thing you have to do is make sure that you are a disciplined enough soldier to engage in the battle that you're just about to go into and people aren't there i don't think
0: so you
1: know with the this boggles my mind and and so maybe you can help us understand because you just call it a spiritual battle and and so it is Hmm. and one of the ways you can tell it's a spiritual battle is What's happening in the church? What, what we've been talking yeah. about is happening in the culture. Oh yeah, and, and we, for for lack of a different, for lack of a better way to phrase it, but it's called a woke ideology, is emboldened yeah. right now, mm-hmm. and in, right. In, in in tyrannical form, is That's coming right. in and saying, "You will do this, or That's we right. will persecute, we will punish you, we will cancel you. You you got to do this." And but it, it's happening. In the church and the culture at the same time what's going on that's right
2: well i i've mentioned this in other uh, i think i might even have mentioned this in a prior podcast but i always tell everybody they used to have this phrase back in the day back in the tradition which as the church goes so goes the world Mm -hmm. so for example the removal of bishop strickland that that was god's way of telling us that this particular problem of removing your uh, that 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 evil people removing their enemies or that people who are woke who are on the side of liberal policies or those things that are contrary to church teaching um they are the one and so they will remove the man who stands as yes. the exemplar to that, we see that exact same thing happening in the public sphere yep. where we see people being removed from office or taken out or what have you or sued or whatever the case is precisely to punish them for having done the right thing. Right. Well, it's happening in the civil sphere because it's been happening in the church for decades. Mm-hmm. And this is so we're not meriting the grace in order for this to um, we're not. We're committing the sins. That means the grace isn't getting into the world by means of the Catholic Church. Because as the Church goes, so goes the world. It's just, this is just a precursor, and I think this what happening with Bishop Strickland is really a sign to us from God. And not to get too um, charismatic about this, but I think it's a sign from God telling people you got to get your act together. Right. This is the state of the Church. Right. This this was showing to us. This is why. It's bad in the civil, civil affairs. This is why it's bad in the world. And this is why this is an indicator of what's really going on in the church. And we have got to get our act together or it's going to get even worse, I think.
0: So then based on that and, and, you know, really the title of this particular episode is what can can or what should we faithful do in a response here? When you've got people saying, no, don't protest. Yes, protest. Let's do petitions. No, not petitions. Yes, let's just pray. Well, prayer, fasting, There, you know, what can we or should we do? I've always told people, look, God's going to inspire different hearts in different ways, but everything's rooted in that spiritual peace first. But right. what do you think after that, then, Father Rippiger, is good for people to hear? How should we respond?
2: Well, I think the principal thing is, as you just mentioned, it's a spiritual thing get your spiritual act together, get to confession, start growing in holiness, do the things that you need to do, start waging the spiritual battle in your own foxhole, right? Mm, And start, you know, don't, don't be worrying about what's happening over in Tyler, Texas so much, although we should be praying for that, but, but, you know, worry about what's going on in your own family, get your families in order, get your families become holy, because a strong holy family is a, is is a force to reckon with i mean it has a tremendous impact on the spiritual battle um but i think if people they have to start rebuilding their families so they need to become holy then after that i like father heilman's idea i think that there needs to be a concerted united effort a prayer campaign of some sort to start petitioning god begging god for good solid bishops Mm-hmm. And for the protection of the good, solid bishops that are still there, and so because, like I said, my concern is if if they see it's just they, they, these the behavior is the same you see with demons. Once they realize that you you've responded in a weak, temerious way to what thing they just boldly did, even though they know they're they're actually in the position of weakness, even though you're not. Once they realize that, then they're gonna, then they're gonna push it even more. They're gonna push push their advantage even more. And I think that you're gonna see them start to come after this. So that being said, I would like to see some type of concerted effort, a prayer effort, to where we start praying. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything majorly formal, but lay people need to start praying every single day for the protection of their bishops, the spiritual protection and the um the natural protection for their bishops. Um, and also, if they start doing that, the bishops will start being more courageous, too. I mean, mm-hmm. part of the thing is, as we look at all this and we're like, well, there's nobody that's carrying the banner, right? And to, to advance this thing against the woke ideology, against this particular thing. And if you do have somebody, of course, they attack them vehemently. But I think more bishops would come up to speed if they started receiving the grace as, from the people's prayer, suffering, and works in a unified um, push to ask God, give us the leaders we need. Not the ones we deserve. Do
0: you yeah. have an opinion so
1: about this? Is why this is why you're the perfect person to have on with this topic. The the gospel today is increase our faith. They said to Jesus, so, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, seed. you could yes. say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. A mustard yeah. seed. You, Father, you, you know, if anybody believes in the supernatural, it's Father Chad Ripperger.
2: Okay, uh, <laughs> I deal with it all the time. Yeah, but, yeah. Right, you
1: deal with it all the time. But see, I, one of the we're, we're in this middle of this prayer campaign right now, uh, forty days to peace through strength. But the the, the, mm-hmm. the uh, petition is um, that there would be a supernatural revival in the church. Uh, yeah. because we're we're in a Eucharistic revival. What about the supernatural? Do we have the faith of even a tiny mustard seed? Because if we had just that, we could say this to this mulberry tree, be uprooted it would obey. Uh, so I father, you're the perfect person to have on right now. We need a supernatural revival, and you're calling us to prayer, but prayer that actually believes that there is such a thing as a god of miracles, and that when we pray something happens, Father.
2: Yeah, I, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it has to do with faith, right? We, I mean, I think that as priests, we can honestly say that one of the things that concerns us is the complete collapse or loss of faith among yes. the faithful. And that this kind is something... of faith,
1: the mustard seed faith that believes in miracles. Go ahead, Bob. Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. That We're just not seeing that, and that's what people need to do. Now, that means people need to make acts of faith. But you know, one of the biggest, and I think this is probably part of the lesson in relationship to what's happened with Bishop Strickland. And, and people say, well, why would God allow this? Or what's where is God and all this? But I think that it's the same thing that you see with people who are possessed. One of the things that Every single person who's possessed, who goes through a liberation process, has to build the one virtue. There's, I mean, obviously faith and hope and charity, but the one specific virtue is confidence in God, that God will do the right thing. He will do what's best for you. Even if he's not liberating you right now, he will do the best thing for you. We need to have confidence in God that if we do our part in fighting the battle and doing our part, that He will always do what's right by us. We just have to have that confidence that okay, this happened to you know one of our our, our favorite pastors in the church, you know, a great leader. But the fact of the matter, and quite frankly, I think <laughs> I think he's going to be freed up to actually go around lecturing and probably doing even more. But th- that being the case, I think it's we have to have the confidence. That even in this, God will provide for us if we do our part.
0: Yeah, I think a point you made earlier—you said that Jesse Romero had had tweeted about Joseph in the Old Testament there—and and I think that's a, yeah. that's a great thing to remember. He gets thrown into a, a well, he gets sold yep. into slavery, he gets accused of some sort of sexual harassment charge, he gets thrown into prison, <laughs> and he's called out by one of the most godless pagan men at the time, Pharaoh, and he is the one who interprets Pharaoh's dream. I always thought to myself, the people in Egypt must have thought, okay, Pharaoh's lost his mind. Horrible. Yeah, exactly. Had, had a dream, yeah. and then he's got this prisoner who tells him what it means, and now we got to start storing up food, grain, all kinds of stuff, a little bit of prepping there, people. For seven years, the whole thing would just yeah. seem crazy, and yet God used that whole tumultuous moment of Joseph to bring about this particular amazing role where he becomes second in command basically in all of egypt it's a phenomenal story of of god taking something weird and challenging and turning into something incredible um father quick your opinion on um like petitions and and marches and so forth i mean i love the idea of prayerful holy like rosary marches and such but what what are your thoughts on that visible kind of tangible piece that people feel they want to get involved in
2: yeah i, I think that I, I think it's a good idea to have some type of visible tangible piece i don't know about the petitions um or marches or things like that i'm not if you look at the woke people it tends to provoke them more than it does change them right and that's my concern about it i'm not by the way i'm not trying to tell somebody they shouldn't do that or that you know that a group of people shouldn't march but i'm just saying that um the uh but I do think there should be some visible piece to this somehow mm-hmm. um, that the lay faithful need to make it known that they're you know uh, that as part of the the, the census fidelium or the census fide that they they see this as problematic and unjust etc. That you know can be a good thing to do, um, but uh, how that is done, I'm not real sure. Um, you know when you when you're gr- when you're beating demons up all day long you're really not too thinking about whether I should sign my name to a petition or not so because okay. I just don't know how those things work. But <laughs> that being said, I think that um, there should be some type of visible piece to this, but that visible piece has to be completely backed up by the spiritual component. Otherwise, it will fail and just make it worse. Yeah, great Father, point.
1: what's a what's a concrete suggestion you'd give to the faithful that are listening right now that they could go to have that mustard seed faith the, and I say mustard seed because it only needs to be that much in order for miracles to start happening yeah. in people's lives. How do they move from? Because I think a lot of us get conditioned to treat our faith life. And Doug, you talk about it a lot the punch in, punch out Catholic, you yeah. know, you dip your yeah. hand in, you do the duty, right? And it's and in the way I put it, it's kind of like we treat it like a good luck charm. You know, I better do that so the good things happen, kind of thing. You can see it's the tone the of my voice, like the lukewarm tone. You know what I mean? Yeah. What uh, What do you recommend uh, listeners can do to 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 break through into that mustard seed faith that that they can start uprooting mulberry trees with with uh, the the kind of trust and confidence they have in God?
2: Well, I think that, I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of purely the mechanics of it. St. Thomas Aquinas says that when it comes to infused virtues, like the theological virtues of hope and charity, but also the um, supernatural infused virtues of uh, supernatural prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, he says we we, we are not their cause, so we can't increase them on our own. What we do is, he says, we perform the action to that, and then that causes a disposition in us for an increase in that virtue, and then concomitantly God will infuse it. So basically what that means is, is that people have to start making acts of faith, hope, and charity, making acts of confidence um, just on a daily basis. I mean, on a, and on a habitual basis, I think that one of the biggest, I think as I get older, and maybe this is just the, the, the fact that I'm getting grayer and looking forward to retirement, which I'll never probably get to retire, but The more I look at it, the more I realize that the key virtue in all this, because as St. Thomas says, that charity is the form of all the other virtues, is that people just do not love God either at all or enough. Yes. And I think that we, we just have to start... Telling him at regular intervals, "I love you, I love you, I want to be with you," and then he will infuse an increase in that love in us. And we need to just start doing that. Tell him, "I love you," and I want to do your holy will. Because if they truly love him, they won't just punch in and punch out. They're going to want to do these things. It'll give them the zeal. So, in fact, Saint Thomas says that zeal is the effect of charity. So, uh, that's what I. That's my recommendation: is just start building the virtues and start telling God you love Him, which is charity but then start making acts of faith and confidence.
0: Yeah, and you know that's funny because a a priest friend of mine years ago, he's passed away now, had said to me, when you struggle with loving God, just say to God, I know I need to, I should, and I want to give me the grace to love you. Just to, to put it all back on him. Let him just open the heart and just say, I know this is the best thing even if I don't fully comprehend or understand where my heart is with this, but Lord, give me the grace to yeah. want to love even more. And father, I, I just think that, you know, what you're talking about really in both of you uh, fathers are saying is that this boils down to, I mean, we can look at all the external pieces of this and the visible things that we see in the news and with the debates and the arguments and the the, 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 uh, the movements that are coming out of, you know, shuffling positions around and this and that. And it all boils down to what, and I like that you said this, Father Ripperger, in our foxhole, what we're doing right then and there right. is the most important piece of our role in this world at the time. My duty, my family, what I'm doing right, right here and now. Does That's that right. sum it up? pretty much?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think absolutely. That's where people, that's where the foundation is built. Yeah, doing all these other things isn't going to do anything if you don't have that built first.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just seems to be such a key piece to help people understand, because I know, and I would say this, and I, I had said this, I put a little video out earlier today on my own YouTube channel, and I, I basically use this example. I said, you know, we shouldn't be too shocked that this even happened, considering no. what we've been seeing over so right. many years now. But I will yep. say this, you know, if you ever live on a farm and, and I wasn't on a farm per se, but I lived out in the country up in Nebraska and I'm down here and Tyler is my diocese now, but even down here in, in my backyard, if I'm going through a wood pile, just like up in Nebraska, if I'm going through a wood pile or, or or something in the garage, in the shed, I expect to see, I don't know, a mouse or a snake or something there, therefore right. When I see it, I'm not stunned and shocked and paralyzed and basically freaked out. And I think when we wake up in the morning tomorrow, if something else has happened or there's been another shuffling of positions and all of a sudden a Father Chad Rippiger or Father Heilman has been canceled for some reason, if something like that happens and people just, oh, I can't believe this. Why can you not believe this? This is the world we're living in where things are ramping up like this. Does that make sense, Father Ripperger, that we have an attitude so that we don't become paralyzed and stunned? Let's just expect that things will probably continue to, to move this direction. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, in my former, uh, when I when I was in the Fraternity of St. Peter, which um, I still have fond memories of being in there, and I love the Fraternity of St. Peter. But when I was, uh, and I, I didn't leave him because I didn't like him. I left because I, I thought this was a God's will for me. But when I was in the Fraternity of St. Peter, my nickname was The Prophet. And the reason I was called the prophet is because I would just look at it and I'm like, okay, there's a train on that side of the track. And on the other sa- side of the track, same track, there's another train coming the same direction. These are going to hit, right? <laughs> at some point, right? And people are, people would get mad at me because then the trains would hit each other. And I'm like, I wasn't the guy who caused it. I was just <laughs> noticing this is what's coming down the pike, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the mistake that people are, because people are so absorbed into their own emotional lives and that type of thing, and because they're not very sober, if you look at the state of things and you look at the way that our leaders, both in and outside the church are talking, what just happened? If it didn't happen, we should be surprised, frankly. Mm, Right. We should have expected, and we should expect even more. Because if there's not some type of and I'm thinking more in terms of a spiritual blowback, let alone a natural blowback, but if there's not a spiritual blowback to what just happened with Bishop Strickland, it's just gonna embolden the demons even more and it's just gonna it's gonna continue to snowball.
0: And when you so, say spiritual blowback, you mean the that we respond spiritually with deeper prayer. Fasting exactly. Right.
2: Yes, exactly. That our response is well. Then I'm going to become holier and I'm going to crush their mm-hmm. them in my life because if you, it's it's like any other war. If you if you're in your foxhole, you take out a whole segment of their line, and the next guy next to you does. Eventually, you start. You, it's not just it's their that one front, even if they're on other fronts, becomes so weakened that it starts to affect even the other fronts to some degree. When, this is what's happened in the spiritual life, if we do our battle. So in other words, if we come up to speed spiritually on this thing, then the demons are going to be a little more circumspect on how they inspire these people to do their behavior inspire the behaviors that they do. Right. right. That's good. Father,
1: thank you so yeah. much for your ministry, for your priesthood, for your belief in the supernatural power mm-hmm. of God. You're, you're an inspiration for all of us to do the same, to not be that punch and punch out Catholic, but but to love God so desperately and to believe that he loves us and that he is the God of miracles fathers. Thank you so, so much. Could, could you, with that kind of in amazing belief in the supernatural power of God, could you get, uh, end us with a prayer and your blessing?
2: Um, just trying to think of which, which, uh, prayer we should probably say, but, uh, Yeah, let's just do this. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe each and every teaching that you have uh, solemnly revealed. I believe in them as an act of faith. We believe in them. We have hope in what you have promised for the forthcoming um, age when we are all in heaven. I also love you and God the Father and the Holy Spirit that we make this act of faith, hope, and charity. We have perfect confidence in Your Jesus Christ, to deliver us from any evils that beset the church or to protect us and our families in relationship to those evils that are in the church and in the world. And we also ask you, Jesus, to provide for us all the grace, send the Blessed Mother and Saint Michael to protect us, and especially the mediates of grace to provide us those graces necessary so that each one of us may respond in the proper way to this whole thing that has happened in relationship to Bishop Strickland. And then a blessing, benedictus de omnipotentis patris et Filii et spiritus sensus supervos et manet semper. Amen.
1: Father, thank wow. you so much. Thanks, Father. You're welcome.